Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Many years ago, Riley Knight completed a degree in history. This proved to be a bad move as it was absolutely useless for him. Until now, here's some half-assed history. What's going on, mate? Great to have you along for some more half-assed history. This week on the agenda, we're going to be having a chat about a bloke whose name was Alcibiades, a fellow from uh, from ancient Greece who was oh, geez, what was he? He was a he was a general. He was a, a diplomat, a politician. He was a traitor at a turncoat more than once, and uh, he was an absolute Lothario as well. He lived an extravagant, uh, a lavish lifestyle, all while very all while significantly influencing the history and the politics of ancient Greece. He got up to all sorts of adventures. He fought for the Athenians against the Spartans, the Spartans against the Athenians, the Persians against who knows whom, really. And uh, I guess both the Spartans and the Athenians kind of, but also neither. And then also went back to fighting for the Athenians against the Spartans by the end of things. I mean, he fought all sorts of battles for all sorts of reasons um, with both weapons and words as well. Some of the stuff he got up to, you're really not going to believe. Uh, Alcibiades seemed to have been one of the most effortlessly charismatic blokes the world has ever seen. He was constantly talking people into and out of things. Uh, For example, cities. He ended several sieges just by using his words and uh, incited other cities to revolt and into rebellion when it suited him as well. Um, and he was very, very good at making friends, uh, almost as good at making friends as he was at making enemies. He was exceptional at making enemies. He spent half his life on the run from people that he'd pissed off. He's a very, very clever bloke, though. Very clever bloke indeed. Well, either very clever or very lucky, as you'll discover. Um, he seemed to constantly have a con or a plot or a scheme on the boil, which, you know, most of the time was just serving his, his own self-interest here. Uh, while, of course, seeming to benefit whoever he was talking into whatever at the time, but uh, there was always another motive with this fella, always another ambition or objective, as you'll discover. Most of what we know about Alcibiades uh, comes to us from a couple of ancient historians, people like um, uh, Thucydides, who wrote the history of the Peloponnesian War, uh, Plutarch, who wrote, well, um, a lot of stuff, uh, which uh, is not all supremely reliable. I mean, you know, as ever, while we get as close to the truth as possible, bear in mind that even these ancient historians can't always be believed 100%. But uh, look, there is, as ever, a lot to get across today, but I want to thank a couple of people, uh, a, couple, a couple of alert listeners who suggested Alcibiades as a topic for the podcast, Brad Bittman and Kenneth Cottrell. Uh, they both emailed in with the idea. Thanks, boys. Good on you. Uh, it was good fun. Good fun reading about this bloke and the thrills and spills he had as he cruised around the eastern Mediterranean, causing trouble all over the place. So let's get to it. Let's get to it. Let's get underway and uh, we'll get head off down the track with the story of Alcibiades. Off we go. So we're going all the way back here, going all the way back to 450 BCE or around that um, around that time. Anyway, before the common era here, BCE. So remember, of course, we're counting years down as time goes on. Uh, 450 BCE is before 440 BCE, for example. So keep that in mind. Anyway, it's around 450 BCE. Uh, we don't know exactly, but around that, around that year anyway, that Alcibiades was born uh, in Athens, uh, not again, not 100% sure when. We do know that he was born into uh, aristocratic wealth and into influence, uh, into the Athenian upper crust, mate. His dad was a bloke named Clenius who fought in the Persian War, and his mum was a woman named Dynamachi uh, who was a, from a from a powerful noble family that uh, claimed to trace its lineage all the way back to the legendary hero Ajax. Anyway, uh, he was only a little tacker, Alcibiades, uh, tiny kid he was, when his dad died. Uh, he was killed in 446 at the Battle of Coronea, it might have been 447. Um, and uh, as a result, the famous statesman Pericles became his guardian as he was growing up. And this is just the start of it. Uh, as he grew up, he was tutored by none other than Socrates himself. So he really did rub shoulders with, with hugely important historical figures from the era. From the get-go, people like Pericles, people like Socrates, you know, two... two 
enormously important figures in, uh, in in history from this period. But I tell you this, he was a wild child, Alcibiades. He was a wild child. He was going around getting himself into trouble, hopping into bed with, I mean, just about anyone, including its suspected Socrates himself, um, as obviously relationships between older and younger men were were quite commonplace back then. Um, he was he was young. He was rich. He was powerful. He was also really, really ridiculously good-looking, um, and he knew it too. So he's strutting about like the cock of the walk, having a great time as a young nobleman. Um, and this was something that Socrates actually attempted to sort of rein in as he taught the young bloke, try to get rid of some of the vanity, the recklessness, the misbehaviour, all the excesses, but it didn't work. didn't work at all. And uh, all that happened is Alcibiades became very, very good at arguing, which is not a surprise when, you know, you're being taught by the bloke who basically invented the concept in Socrates. Um, very, very good at argument, very good at persuasion, in addition to, you know, all the vanity and the rest of it as well. So as he grows into um, adulthood here, uh, Alcibiades, the Peloponnesian War is brewing. This was a conflict between, essentially between Athens and Sparta um, and all the city-states that were allied with them. The two sides were known as the Delian League and the, Peloponne- uh, the Peloponnesian League. Uh, they were led by Athens and Sparta, respectively. So you've got the, the Delian League, Athens and the Peloponnesian League, Sparta. And young Alcibiades, he's a red-blooded Athenian, of course, loyal to the cause for the moment, at least. Um, and as tension mounts between the two sides, he's off to get amongst it in a major way. The war began properly in 431, but a year before this, in 432, the Battle of Potidaea took place, and Alcibiades was there fighting uh, fighting against the Sparta-aligned Corinthians alongside Socrates. Now, Socrates is said to have saved young Alcibiades' life during this battle, and the two blokes, I mean, even if that weren't true, the two blokes were big, big fans of each other, even if they, you know, even if they weren't rooting, they were still big fans of each other. Alcibiades taught, uh, also fought alongside Socrates in the Battle of Delium in 424, which was also around the same time that he got married. He married a woman named Hipporeti, uh, the daughter of a very wealthy Athenian military commander, and she came with a great big dowry, which made Alcibiades even richer than he already was. Had a family connection now with this uh, with his military leader, so he was um, he's doing very well for himself, even as a you know as a relatively young bloke. He's got lots of money, he's got lots of political influence. Uh, you know, he's fought he's fought in battles, proved his proved his worth on the battlefield as well. Um, and so he's just kicking goals with both feet. This bloke, his marriage seemed to be a relatively happy one, although it didn't curb his excesses of behaviour because, you know. He would just still go out and root more or less anything that moved. In fact, at one point, Hipporetes sought a divorce from Alcibiades uh, because he wouldn't stop hanging out with courtesans. So this bloke was absolutely insatiable. Bloody hell. Anyway, they had, they stayed married. They had a couple of kids. Their son was also confusingly called Alcibiades. Some people just love to make it difficult for historians, don't they? Anyway, he's a real mover and shaker in... Um, in Athens, uh, in the uh, you know in the four twenties, he's uh, he's doing very well for himself. He's uh, he's got a fair bit of political influence, and of course, all the wealth that uh, that you need to support a position like this. This, but it wasn't around. It wasn't until around four hundred twenty one BCE that uh, that Alcibiades really started to rise to prominence after the peace of Nicias was being brokered. Uh, by 421, the Peloponnesian War has been going on for years, right? And neither side has got a lot to show for all the conflict here. I mean, you could, I guess you could argue that, you know, in some ways Athens was in a slightly better position than, than, than Sparta were at this point. But, I mean, you know, it was more or less a stalemate and there certainly wasn't enough difference to, to justify all the years of, you know, death and bloodshed and killing that had been going on. So the two sides, they've come together here in 421 to organise a peace agreement. And this peace agreement is called the Peace of Nicias. It's named after an Athenian, Athenian politician whose name was... Nicias. And I'll tell you this, there was one bloke who was not a fan of the peace treaty at all, and that bloke was Alcibiades. He was not a fan. He wanted to tear it to bits, basically. He wanted to, he wanted them, he wanted them to keep fighting. Um, and he actually attempted to undermine the treaty after it was signed. Uh, he tried to undermine it altogether and re-inflame tensions between the two sides here. When Spartan ambassadors were sent to Athens, check this out, here's what happened. The treaty was agreed upon, it was signed, sealed, delivered, all the rest of that, and then an uneasy peace began. However, there was still some disagreements, some arguments over some of the finer points of the treaty. And Sparta, therefore, sent some ambassadors over to Athens to hash out the problems, get it all sorted, and make sure both sides were on the same page. So the, the, the ambassadors arrive. They go, yep, yep, we're here. We're being sent to, uh, you're being sent with the authority, the, the Spartan government, to sort stuff out, right? But Al- Alcibiades, he comes and goes, boys, 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 you can't make an announcement like that. Don't tell everyone how much power you've got here as you come here, because I'll tell you this, right? You've announced, you've just announced you've come from Sparta with uh, full negotiating power, but you got listen here, right? You got to cool it. You got to play a closer hand. If you announce that you're here with that much diplomatic power, Nicias, he's going to play silly buggers with you. He's going to take advantage. He's going to try and manipulate. You know, he's going to try to f- force you into a corner here to get you to you know sign something you shouldn't be signing. He's not. He's not to be trusted, mate. The, the bloke's a snake. And the ambassadors, they go, jeez, oh, bloody hell, that's not good. 
we thought he actually did want to make a, a deal. We, we heard he was a decent bloke. He's wanted to make a deal with this. He, you know, we, we thought he was actually acting in good faith. In, I mean, the reality of it is, Nicias is, in fact, acting in good faith. He does want a deal, but obviously, you know, Alcibiades talking out of his bum here in, in order to get what he wants. So they're going, oh, you know, we, we didn't realise he was going to manipulate us. We, we, we thought he wanted to, he was, he was fair and square. What, what are we going to do? And Alcibiades, he goes, oh, mate, don't worry about it. I'll tell you this, right? I'll tell you what. Tomorrow, when we're all in the Athenian Assembly, I'm going to ask you, I'll ask him questions, that sort of stuff. I'll ask you what kind of diplomatic power Spartan has given you, you know, so, so sort of get a sense of why you're here. And you need to respond vaguely, you know, not give too much away, sort of downplay how much negotiating power you've been granted here. Otherwise, Nisus is going to pants, going to put you in a corner. And the ambassador go, mate, that's brilliant. Jeez, that's brilliant. Thanks very much. Yep, thanks for the warning. You know, softly, softly, catchy monkey. We'll get there in the end, but we'll uh, we'll, we'll we'll be a bit um we'll be a bit more casual about, it, a bit, bit vaguer about it. Thanks, uh, Alcibiades. You're you're yeah you're a real one, mate. Glad you're here to protect us from that snake, Nicias. Now, obviously, Nicias actually does want to negotiate in earnest. He wants the treaty to last. I mean, he's got his bloody name on it, doesn't it? So of course he wants it to work. But this doesn't stop Alcibiades and his scheming. So, sure enough, next day they're all there at the Athenian assembly. And uh, the ambassadors are present. They come in. They say, "Yep, well, you know, we're here to. Uh, what are we going to have a chat about stuff?" And uh, Alcibiades, just as you know, just that agreed. He stands up and he starts asking questions. He's asking them about this and that. And then he says, "Now, listen here, you fellas. How much actual diplomatic and negotiating power have you been granted by your government? What are you here to actually achieve?" And you know, a bit of a cheeky wink back at Alcibiades. They go, "Oh, yeah, nah, look, not 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 all that much. Hey, just here to have you know a bit of a chat about things. See how we go." And it's here that Alcibiades then double crosses them from the top rope. You weren't expecting this. He goes, hang on one second, you blokes, because the other day you come in here saying that you've got full negotiating power, that you're here to make a deal, to to sort stuff out. You've been granted all the diplomatic power of of the Spartan government. So get your bloody story straight. What's going on? Nisius is going on about sorting out this whole situation. Clearly he doesn't know what's going on either because you blokes are coming here telling two different stories, can't tell your ass from your elbow. Nisius doesn't know what's going on. We've got these jokers here not telling us the truth one way or the other someone's playing funny buggers here right now little does everyone know of course that it was Alcibiades all along who was the one playing funny buggers he's bamboozled both the ambassadors and Nicias by making it seem like they were the ones that were up to no good they were the ones whose stories were changing or that you know they're that incompetent they didn't know what was going on Nicias was discredited because he's you know trying to prop up this peace treaty and apparently these perfidious ambassadors are standing in the way of it the ambassadors are scorned tensions mount and Alcibiades was seen as the bloke who had sniffed out this chicanery out of nowhere despite the fact that he was the one who had undermined the good faith negotiations on both sides just to keep the conflict going the ambassadors and Nicias wanted the same thing but by setting them more or less against each other here Alcibiades came out on top and it suited him to the ground. After this stunning political victory, his rival Nicias is humiliated. Alcibiades is made a general and he's quick, he quickly moves to increase his power, consolidate his position as this bloke who's, you know, just, again, pulled off this stunning political victory. He went around and talked a couple of more city-states into supporting the Athenians, right? He's got this lauded position now as a politician, as a wealthy bloke, and also as a general. So he goes, listen, here, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to, you know, consolidate our impact, or consolidate our, our political forces as much as I can here while there's this period of relative peace, while the tension's racking up. So he goes around to a couple of city-states and he talks them, literally just talks them into supporting the Athenians, including some that were previously allied to the Spartans. They were they were Peloponnesian beforehand. He really stuck to the Spartans, taking advantage of them being on the back foot while they, you know, their prestige was an all-time low here because these ambassadors have been embarrassed. And so with antics like this, you can see why he ended up being absolutely loved by so many people. I mean, and also hated by a fair few others. His political and military successes, they brought him favour and goodwill and adulation and glory from many quarters. But of course, the people that he stabbed in the back in order to pull them off weren't quite as impressed with his conduct and, you know, he could go and talk all the cities into allying themselves, all, all, talk as many cities as he wanted, all the ones in the world, mate, it wasn't going to stop them from looking at Alcibiades as, a, as being a huge snake here. Anyway, apart from a few minor conflicts here and there and, disp- and, you know, and despite Alcibiades' best efforts, right, the peace of Nicias actually, it did stick. There was a little bit of fight, a few conflicts and whatever else and, you know, cities changing hands, whatever else, but broadly speaking, the peace of Nicias snuck. 
It wasn't until around 416 or 415, right, that Alcibiades would have the opportunity to really get stuck into the Spartans again. Because around this time, envoys from a city on the island of Sicily, right, in the south of the Italian peninsula, a city called Segesta, or Segesta, Segesta, uh, came to Athens and they, they come bloody hat in hand begging for help uh, in their war. They're fighting a war against uh, Selenius, uh, another, or Selenus, another Sicilian city uh, that, uh, you know, they, they kicked, kicked up a stink there. And Selenus had the backing of Syracuse. Syracuse is the biggest city on the island of Sicily, very powerful indeed uh, in, in the region, and also aligned with Sparta. And so helping suggest or suggester would, at the end of the day, be in Athens' best interests, say these envoys, they say, listen, if you let the Syracusans, if you let the, the people from Selenus beat us, it's going to turn into a Spartan stronghold, the island of Sicily, and that's going to do no favours for Athens in the long term. So it's, it's in your best interest to help us out here. Now, you'll never guess who is absolutely gung-ho about this plan. Alcibiades is all for it. He wanted to use the opportunity to establish an Athenian foothold on Sicily and begin to expand the, you know, the Athenian Empire, bring, bring back glory and riches and growing Athenian influence. And, I mean, you can guess who opposed him, can't you? Nicias having none of it. Having absolutely none of it, mate. He argued... That he, I mean, he argued until he's blue in the face that, uh, that that invading Sicily was a terrible idea, that they shouldn't get stuck into this war. He said, there's no way that it would be as easy as Al- uh, Alcibiades uh, was saying. You know, he's going, oh, it'll be brilliant, mate. We'll go there. We'll get all this money. It'll be, it'll be great. Invade, you know, capture this land, whatever else. And he's saying, listen, it's not going to be as easy as that, mate. We can't afford to fight the powerful Syracuse on home soil. In order to actually conquer Sicily, we're going to need hundreds of ships. We're going to need thousands of men. And unfortunately for him, Right, his attempts to dissuade people from getting involved in this war actually backfired spectacularly, backfired enormously, because after after hearing how big and and, and grand this campaign would have to be to succeed, most Athenians actually ended up in strong support of it. So, buddy Al- Alcibiades, he stood up and he said, "Oh, there's going to be glory and riches." People go, "Oh yeah, that sounds all right, bloody hell yeah, good glory, riches, love that." And then Nicias goes, oh, no, 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 "Hang on, chill out, because you know, you know, we're going to need a huge fleet, we're going to need a massive army, and." People there are going, oh, yeah, sounds terrific. Huge fleet, massive army, love it. He's like, no, 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 this is a, this is a bad idea. We need, a, you know, we need a massive army. We've never done something like this before. People go, yeah, yeah, mate, we get it. It'll be amazing. It'll be great. We know what you're saying. Sick, let's get this big army. Let's go. What are we waiting for? So Alcibiades, he's stoked. He's like, oh, off to war we go. Off to fight again. Another blow to one of his many political rivals here. Nicias has got egg on his face once again, except something backfired on him too. Alcibiades didn't uh, end up coming away with a flawless victory here because when the command of the expedition was announced uh, was announced here, ultimate command was given not to Alcibiades, but to Nicias instead. He didn't even want the job, but hey, sounded like he knew what he was talking about with all the ships and the troops and stuff, didn't it? So he's actually put in charge. Uh, Alcibiades is also another one of the commanders, but uh, but the, 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 you know, the final authority is, is with Nicias there. And Alcibiades, not too bloody happy about this at all, I can tell you this. I, he was, I mean, he went with it. He still went with it, or he tried to right up until the voyage was set to leave. When a fresh development occurred, check this out, right? So... This is going to get a, you're going to have to come with me on a bit of a journey because this is a little weird. Back in ancient Greece, and also in ancient Rome for that matter, who obviously nicked a bunch of Greek, Greek stuff and made it their own. Back in ancient Greece, there were these extremely weird things called haomai, right? Haomai were sculptures. And bear with me here as I describe them because they are absolutely wild. They typically involved a bust, often of, of Hermes, um, but sometimes of other people, on top of a, of a tall rectangular plinth, as tall as a man. So you can imagine this, a bust, right? Bust of a bloke on, uh, on a tall square pedestal. Nothing weird about that. Until you started to look down along the side of the pedestal, because on Hermes there was another thing, a great big dick and a pair of balls about halfway down. So now, basically imagine a bloke in a long, tall cardboard box, right? His head's poking up above the top of it, and then his tackle's hanging out about halfway down. All made of stone. That is basically a hammer. And these haomai were everywhere. You put them along roads and highways. You used them to mark borders and boundaries. You'd put them outside temples and tombs to ward off evil spirits. You'd use them, this is not a joke, 
as signed po- as signposts. I mean, they're already pointing in a direction. I guess you just carve where they're pointing at on them, and then people are going to know where to go. They put on street corners to you know direct people. People even had them in their houses. I don't know what they're doing there. I mean, maybe using them as coat hooks. I'm not sure. Who knows? Totally bizarre, right? Totally, you're walking around ancient Athens, and there are these great big rectangular prisms with a bloke head on top and his dick and balls hanging out off the side. But they are all over the place, and you can go and see. You can go online and see pictures of them now, although. Not a lot of them have survived in, you know, I mean, look, you know, there's one very obvious structural weakness that's going to snap off at the slightest, slightest sort of disturbance there. So not a lot of them have actually survived. The the ones that are <clears throat> intact are quite rare. Anyway, they held a, a special religious significance. I mentioned Hermes before. Um, not all of them represented Hermes, but most did. And he was the he was a phallic god. He represented luck and, uh, and fertility as well as roads and borders, a, a weird portfolio of him. So people are big fans of their weird dick and ball statues. And here comes the problem. Because as the fleet, right, was getting uh, geared up ready for, for this invasion of Sicily, everything's you know, getting loaded up ready on the ships. One night, disaster strikes. Someone or some people went around Athens and vandalised all the Hermai. It's a scandal. It's an evil omen, too, for the voyage. People are absolutely outraged. Someone's gone around, defaced all these things, snapped all the dicks off, and, and people are not happy about it, mate. And unfortunately for our mate Alcibiades, his political opponents don't waste a second in accusing him of being the one behind it. Alcibiades has a reputation of being wild, being unruly, being a troublemaker, and everyone knows he's a bit of a loose unit. So it's it's not a difficult accusation to make at all. Um, it's not hard to see, you know, Alcibiades doing something like this out in a bender with his mates. Oh, let's go and snap the dicks off all them statues, boys. Oh, it'd be bloody hilarious, you know. Now, to this day, we don't know if Alcibiades actually was behind it or not. He wasn't discovered with a, you know, large collection of freshly stolen marble dicks in his house. But it's actually largely irrelevant whether he did it or not because the accusation stuck and he's in trouble. He's formally charged with some very serious religious crimes here and the timing couldn't have been better for Alcibiades' enemies because the trial is delayed until after he returns from the Sicilian campaign, right? It, the, the campaign is happening too soon for it to actually... I mean, Alcibiades wants it to happen straight away, right? He's a clever political mover and shaker. He recognises the danger that's he, that he's in with this delayed uh, trial and him, him off to Sicily because he realises that it will play right into his opponent's hands. It will give them the chance to further discredit him while he's off away unable to defend himself so he makes a big push to try to have the trial happen before he leaves his, his opponents have already hired orators to address people on on Alcibiades misdeeds they've got false witnesses running around telling all sorts of stories uh, but his attempt to to expedite this trial get it rushed through before he leaves is totally unsuccessful they're just not having it they say no listen we'll deal with you when you come back off you go off to Sicily with uh, you know the charges hanging over your head mate we'll we'll see you when you get back and of course, as soon as he sets sail, his political enemies, they jump at the chance. They more or less, as you know, as soon as he's gone, they're, they're trumping up this charge, accusing him of this, that, the other thing. And obviously, he's not there to defend himself. And it gets so bad that more or less, as soon as he lands in Sicily, he is recalled to Athens to stand trial after all. People are that outraged by some of the accusations. He's been played like a violin. They've absolutely done him here. They've absolutely done him. While he's away, back in Athens, public opinion has been drummed up against the bloke. Other accusations, charges of service. The point, he's got no chance of a fair trial. He knows. He's go, he's go back. He's absolutely buggered here. So uh, Alcibiades, in response to the summons, he says, yep, no worries. I'll head straight back to Athens now on my ship, and I'll, uh, I'll see you there in a little bit once I arrive. Don't even worry about it. And then set sail for Sparta. Oh, yes. He turned his coat. He betrayed his homeland. He went right over to the enemy and offered his service to the side that he'd spent so much time and energy fighting over the years. He knew. He knew his bugger if he had headed back to Athens. He'd been outmaneuvered. He'd be fighting a losing battle. And so he, instead, he turned traitor and he cruised off to Sparta. In Athens, he was tried uh, all the same Same in uh, in, ab- in absentia. He was convicted. He had all of his property confiscated. He was sentenced to death. Not a great result, really. Uh, so it was fortunate for him then that the Spartans didn't, you know, just turn around and tell him to tell his story walking here. On the contrary, he was welcomed by his former foes. According to Plutarch, he promised to render them aid and service greater than all the harm he had previously done to them as an enemy. And uh, with, a, with a proclamation like this, again, he was warmly welcomed into the fold here, and he did exactly what he promised to as well. He immediately gave his new Spartan mates the Athenian battle plan for the invasion of Sicily. 
uh, and the campaign against Syracuse, which you remember Syracuse was, you know, uh, uh, allied or, or at least aligned with uh, tied to Sparta here. But he did a lot more than this. He was determined to help to strike a crushing blow against Athens, so much so that he greatly exaggerated the threat that Athens posed to Sparta with the invasion of Sicily. He sexed up the numbers. He gave hyperbolic accounts of the Athenian force. He even spun stories about how Athens had its eyes on conquering the Italian peninsula, even Carthage across the Mediterranean. And once again, thanks to the power of his speechcraft, people fell for it. The Spartans mobilised fully against the Athenians in Sicily, rather than just sending off a detachment or whatever else, but oh, I should be right, we'll, we'll, we'll deal with them. They mobilised and they cruised down to Sicily with all speed to back up uh, their, their Syracusan allies, which had been embarrassing. They'd been embarrassingly slow, the Syracusans, to respond to the Athenian invasion. In fact, things, things were going quite well for, for, for Athens in Sicily until Alcibiades defected. They'd won a series of early victories. They were poised to continue uh, uh, in this vein. But Alcibiades, he shifted the balance by persuading Sparta to respond overwhelmingly and support Syracuse. And uh, even Athens sending a huge fleet to act as a naval reinforcement wasn't enough here. Athens was crushed in Sicily. Nicias had predicted this. Nicias had predicted this outcome going up against Sparta and Sicily. The entire force was obliterated by Syracuse and the Spartans. And the man who had helped to bring it about was the same bloke who had been fanging to go for it in the beginning. Nicias can't catch a break with this bloke. Alcibiades continued to vex him at every turn, forced him into a war he didn't want to fight, only then to be the cause that he lost it. I mean, you know, poor Nicias actually never made it back from Sicily, by the way. He was captured during a battle and executed. I mean, the, the lesson for him was never bet against Alcibiades, I guess. that's. The, I mean, that's the lesson here, isn't it? Anyway... Thanks to Alcibiades convincing the Spartans to go up against the Athenians in Sicily, he helped them win a huge victory and he was lauded as a Spartan hero for it as a result. Even though he was a traitor and a defector, he was seen as a hero. And in keeping with his overall deal, he cast himself as this absolute legend while making a lot of a very powerful enemies at the same time. He was a hated traitor in Athens, but this bloke was now the dog's bollocks in Sparta. All the exaggerated stuff about Athens in Sicily, sure, I mean, you know, he did it to provoke the Spartans into action. But there was another side to it as well. He wanted to be seen as a crucial informant who had brought them this value, this invaluable information, right? And it bloody well worked. He was seen as a hero. He was seen as someone important, powerful, and he was taken on as a senior military advisor by the Spartans. So he's going, he's going from, you know, from strength to strength here. And he continued to do everything that he could to keep the Peloponnesian War going, except now for the other side. I mean, at least he was con- at least he was consistent. He wanted the war to continue. He didn't really care whose side he was fighting for. He just wanted to keep fighting here. He gave Sparta a detailed rundown on Athens' weaknesses. He helped um, them to gain a very significant edge in the ongoing conflict. And the biggest of these, the biggest of the betrayals here, was his suggestion to build a Spartan outpost within 15 or so kilometres of Athens itself. And from this outpost, strategically located as it was, the Spartans were able to cut the city of Athens off from their farms, from their crops, and also from the wealth of their silver mines. And as a result, the situation in Athens slowly but surely began to deteriorate quite significantly, quite seriously. They were completely reliant on sea-based imports of goods and supplies, And Alcibiades was determined to restart the Peloponnesian War properly. He wanted the fight to actually really kick off and these two city-states, or these two leagues, really, to go at it hammer and tongs. His plan was to foment unhappiness and rebellious settlement within Athens by cutting it off from its supplies, cutting it off from from its food and its wealth. And this, in turn, would then weaken the Delian League with with Athens at its head, and Alcibiades would take then full advantage of all of Athens' troubles. Once Athens was on the back foot like this, the city, he started to sail around to other city-states that were uh, that were aligned with the Delian League and started to talk them into rebellion. He didn't need to do much. This bloke was some orator. He went around to these Athenian allied cities and managed to just persuade them, just with the power of his words, uh, he managed to persuade a bunch of them into rising up against the Delian League for swearing their allegiance or just fa- actually switching sides altogether and joining uh, joining the Peloponnesians. Thanks to Alcibiades, not only was the Peloponnesian War well and truly back on, historians now regard the Sicilian campaign as the resumption of hostilities officially, Athens is on the back foot. And Alcibiades is doing everything he can to capitalise on this. Many cities in Ionia revolted against Athens. The Syracusan fleet is on the way to, to the Aegean Sea. The Persians in Asia Minor have agreed to help Sparta to take the fight to the Athenians. And Alcibiades is in the beating heart of this whole operation to bring Athens, his former home, into ruin. However, 
Athens did survive. Athens did survive despite his best, uh, his best efforts. The Peloponnesian War dragged on for a long time to come yet. Fortunately for Athens, Spartan allies were very slow to press the attack. Syracuse and Persia didn't really hurry to get after Athens. Um, and some of the Ionian revolts were actually resolved in Athens' favour at the end of the day. So for all, uh, for all of his, uh, you know, his, his big talk, unfortunately, Alcibiades wasn't able to completely turn the tide of the war here. But still, he'd done a terrific job in destabilising Sparta's biggest enemy. And the Spartan, the Spartan government, oh, can I tell you this, particularly the king, oh, absolutely loved the bloke. Get around him. What a legend. Alcibi- oh, Alcibiades, mate. Good. Oh, oh, hang on. Wait, what? Oh, that's not it. Oh, sorry. Sorry, no. The Spartan king and his government absolutely hated him. They absolutely hated him. The king couldn't stand Alcibiades. And I mean... What's his problem? Really? After everything Alcibiades has done to, 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 you know, to aid the Spartan war effort, after all of this, how could this be possible? How could the king find it in his heart to despise the man who was, who was, was helping to him to, you know, achieve such great success on the battlefield, on the Peloponnesian War? Oh, it's because he was probably sleeping with his wife. Yeah, right. Okay. Yeah. Alcibiades very probably slept with the Queen of Sparta and... And knocked her up. So that'd do it. Yeah. Alcibiades might have been a cunning diplomat, a clever general, a brilliant schemer and a masterful politician. But it's really his talent of self-sabotage that stands out here. It's never been conclusively proven, but it's thought that Alcibiades, um, while King Agus II of Sparta was off fighting the Athenians in Attica, it's thought that Alcibiades seduced his wife and got her pregnant. Why? Why, mate? Why? There, there are so many women you could have had it away with, mate. Why go after the one that is probably the actual worst possible choice for your long-term prospects as a, as a, you know, as a high level, a high-ranking Spartan politician? What were you thinking, mate? I mean, look, maybe that was his plan all along. Maybe he's over here playing 4D chess, figuring out the best way to shag the king's wife was to you know, rekindle the war and get the king off to fighting the fighting the Athenians on the battlefield. I mean, out out outplayed outplayed you, Your Majesty. Sorry, Matt, but bloody outplayed there by Alcibiades, my friend. Anyway, it all come undone here for Alcibiades when he well, when he rooted the Queen of Sparta, probably, but also more concretely when uh, one of his principal allies in the Spartan government also retired and. Quickly, like vultures, his political enemies descended. And Alcibiades was—he was warned actually by some of the few friends that he had remaining in in Sparta of a plot against his life, um, if not ordained by, definitely supported by the king, who again was getting over the embarrassment of being cuckolded by an Athenian traitor here. Anyway. There, there is this plot against his life, and uh, once Alcibiades learns of it, what did he do? Did he turn bravely and face his destiny rather than, you know, run away as he'd done with Athens years ago? Did he recognise the consequences of his actions and remain to weather them? Pig's ass he did, mate. No bloody way. He was off like a shot once again. In 412, off he goes, leaving Sparta, Sparta in the rear view. But where to this time? Can't go to Athens. I mean, still, you know, still still got the bloody death penalty hanging over his head there. Can't stay in Sparta. He's been, you know, rooting the queen. Where does he go? Well, as unusual as it sounds, if you'll believe it, he went to the Persian Empire. He went to the Achaemenids. This actually isn't as unusual as it sounds. Quite a few Greek nobles had fled to Persia after falling out of favour over the years. So Alcibiades is, is he's by no means the first, first to have defected like this. He might have been the first to, you know, have turned his coat twice. Uh, it might must be a very special special coat to have three bloody sides to it, mate. But all the same, the uh, the Achaemenid Empire, the Persian Empire, same thing. Uh, they controlled most of uh, Asia Minor, modern day Turkey. Athens uh, controlled some of the coastal areas, but the Persian Empire is the you know the the, the largest sort of force in this part of the world. Um, and you remember that Persia is al- uh, is aligned with Sparta in the Peloponnesian War. Uh, and as soon as Alcibiades arrives. You can probably guess what he did. He did everything he could to bring that alliance undone. He ingratiates himself with a Persian noble, a satrap named Tissaphernes. Um, and, uh, you know, with bloody old Alcibiades' worm tongue in his ear, Tissaphernes started to quite meaningfully reduce the aid that he was giving the Spartans in their campaigns against the Athenians. 
Once again, Alcibiades is chucked in reverse and he's working against the very thing that he was attempting to secure previously. He was he was working for the Spartans, you know, he was working for a Spartan victory in the Peloponnesian War, and now he's trying to prevent a Spartan victory in the Peloponnesian War by trying to, you know, drag back the reins of the of the Persian alliance with uh, with Sparta. But you and I both know that that's not what he really wants here. You know, he's advising the person, saying, listen, this is the line that he took. He goes to the person, he says, listen here, you should keep out of this war altogether because you should just let them fight each other, right? And then when they're both beaten down, worn out, exhausted, and out of resource manpower, that's when you blokes strike and you knock them dead. You knock them both out easy when they're at their lowest point here. But of course, that's not what he wants. That's not what he cares about. We know, we know Alcibiades a lot better than that by now. We know that he's looking out for number one at all bloody times. And this time was no different. While he was advising the Persians to stay out of the conflict and, you know, wait for the opportune moment to strike at both the Spartans and the Athenians once they're worn out, he's actually playing 5D chess here, figuring out a way to go back home to Athens. Yes, he wants to turn his coat again. And he's pretty sure that he's figured out how to do it, and he doesn't care what it's going to take. After dragging back on the reins with this uh, with this alliance and, and making it seem like Persia was kind of falling out, or, or that Sparta was falling out of Persian favour favor here, Alcibiades made contact with some Athenian generals while he was there in Persia, and he told them, listen, I can bring you Tissaphernes over to the Athenian cause. You've seen how he's not given as much to the per- his, his, uh, his, his Peloponnesian allies anymore. You've seen that. That's me, mate. That's me whispering in his ear. And I tell you this, I can bring him over to the Athenian side away from Sparta altogether. Now, obviously, the generals, they go, bloody hell, is that true? I mean, this is huge. It's huge if true, mate. Huge get for Athens. Great big win for their cause. Not, you know, having an ally like that, not only to get take him away from Sparta, bring him onto the, into the fold with Athens. And so Alcibiades, he gives the generals a message to take back to Athens. He says he's generated a lot of influence with the Persians and that if Athens were to abandon democracy and become an oligarchy instead, Persia would be more willing to come over to their side. Now, the reasoning was that Persia wanted a politically predictable and consolidated ally, not an unpredictable democracy that would be, you know, goes who knows where when people vote. And privately... Right. This is the, this is the line that he fed to the uh, to the generals. But privately, Alcibiades knew that if this idea was sold to Athens, the oligarchs in power would be very grateful to him for helping them achieve this power, and would very probably welcome him back to Athens with open arms because they owe their new oligarchical power to him for bringing about this alliance. Talk about a bloody Xanatos gambit, mate. Reform an entire governmental system to foster an international alliance just to have a grateful ruling class invite you back home for engineering the alliance in the first place. This bloke is playing it from so many angles here. The generals he told of the plan firmly in favour of it, as they would be. They had a lot to gain, of course. And similarly, back in Athens, the idea was popular with the ruling elite, as it would, of course, consolidate power in their hands, in addition to scoring this, 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 you know, this supposed alliance here. The promise, of, the promise of the alliance with Persia helped sell the idea, beer of, idea of abandoning democracy for oligarchy. And Alcibiades was, unbelievably, hailed as a hero for bringing this whole thing about. He's come and he's offering this, uh, this, this, this game-changing alliance on a silver platter. All they have to do is, you know, just a little change of government. That's fine. Ignore that. And then the Persians are going to come on side. Athens, they agree to the plan. They go back to Alcibiades to say, yep, mate, no worries, all good on our... I mean, I'm simplifying it here. There was a fair bit of debate and a fair bit of back and forth, and there were some people who weren't keen on it. But the long and the short, the long and the short of it is, they go, we'll overthrow democracy, we'll bring about oligarchy, you just, you know, just waiting on you, mate, just waiting on you to bring all them Persian ships and whatnot, right? Here's the problem. Alcibiades was bargaining with chips he didn't have. He's talking out his bum. Remember, he's talked Tissaphernes into staying out of the Peloponnesian War. And Tissaphernes was very, very receptive to that logic. Stay out of the war, wait for the two sides to fight each, wear each other down, and then attack, right? Not switch sides from, per, from, from Peloponnesia to Delia. That's not what Tissaphernes was about, right? So when he went to say to the Athenians, oh, I can get to bring Tissaphernes over to your side, He's talking out his bum, mate. He's massively overstated how much clout he had with the Persians. And as a result, when he goes back to Tissaphernes and said, hey, um, you should... Uh, you should ally yourself with Athens. You know, it's a whole... I mean, don't, don't, have, yeah, don't worry about the details. You should just... It, it's a good idea, right? Just take it from me. Tissaphernes is like, no. You said, like, stay out of the war and we'll attack them when they're weak. Like, no, of course I'm not going to do that. No, mate. 
You won't believe how Alcibiades came back from this one, though, right? He's, he's in a brick wall. This alliance that he's promised just isn't going to happen. And so what he does is he goes back to the Athenians and he says, you're not going to believe this. You're not going to believe this, mate. Tissaphernes, bloody Persian snake that he is, he's changed his mind, hasn't he? He's changed his mind. He wants to He wants to change the terms of the alliance. It's a much worse deal for us. Here's the new terms. It's, oh, it's terrible. I'm really, really sorry because I thought I had this bloke, but he apparently now he's caprice. He's doing, you know, it's no good and I'm sorry, mate, but here's the new deal and it's a, it's a lot worse, but what do you reckon? The Athenians, oh, they're ropeable. They've just, you know, they've gone through all this to try to, you know, sort out, sign this sweet new deal with the with the Persians, and now the Persians are, are, are flaking on it. And they go, oh, bloody hell, mate, bloody hell, this is a pain in the ass. This bastard, you know, he's altering the deal. Oh, give us a look at, okay, all right, well, I guess it's not that bad. I guess we'll give in to his new demands. Let's do it. She'll be right. It's very important we secure this alliance after all. So Alcibiades is going, oh, geez, I didn't, didn't know if they were going to go for that. He goes back with his new deal that the Athenians have signed off on. And still Tissaphernes is like, no, mate, I'm not signing an alliance. I'm not getting an alliance with the Athenians, all right? It's not happening. You're dreaming. And so Alcibiades goes, bloody hell, all right, I'm in trouble here. He goes back to the Athenians goes, boys, you're not going to believe this. You are not going to believe this. He's changed his mind again, and he wants even more. He Now he wants to change. He wants to alter the deal even further. He runs the same trick again. And again, and again. He keeps saying that this Tissaphernes bloke is moving the goalposts, right? You're giving him an take he's taking a mile. Painting himself as having had a lot of influence with the bloke just to keep him in the negotiations, but not enough to, to get him to sign off on the alliance. And you might think that he's desperately clutching at straws. But remember, Alcibiades' goal isn't to secure the alliance. It's to get back home to Athens. That's what he's trying to get, trying to make happen all the same. And so this delaying tactic, it suits him perfectly because it means that the transition into oligarchy from democracy in Athens gets properly underway. And when Tissaphernes has finally had enough of Alcibiades and chucks him out in his arse, democracy in Athens, it's been overthrown. The oligarchs are in charge. And what do the oligarchs do? Well, never mind the alliance. They're still in a position a position of supreme power. Long story short, they recall him to Athens. They invite him back to his original home city and they say, mate, well done. Thanks very much for sorting out this spot at the top of the food chain for us. Appreciate it. Loving this new government structure. Shame about the alliance, but no worries because we're in charge, right? And so finally, in 411, Alcibiades is given the opportunity to return to his home of Athens after years of exile. However, he knows he's going to have a hard time going back. He knows that there are snakes in the grass in Athens. He knows he's got people with long memories and firm grudges against him. And so he says, I'm not falling for this, mate. I'm not going back. I might have the protection of some of the oligarchs, but I know there are going to be people there who don't want me to see, don't want to see my face around town. Can he as ever? He realises that he needs to come back in a much more spectacular fashion, laden with wealth and with glory if he's to overcome his old political foes in Athens. He doesn't want the old charges brought up. He doesn't want an uphill battle when it comes to reacceptance into, into Athenian society. So what does he do? Instead of returning home, he accepts a position as an Athenian general once again, and he goes about and wins a stack of victories around the Aegean Sea. He, he sails around winning battles for Athens at both, in, you know, on both land and on the water, battles like the Battle of Abd, uh, Abydos in, in late 411, or the Battle of, oh dear, I should have practiced this one, Sisychus, I guess, in 410. There's not a lot of vowels in that word. Um, and in Sisychus, he saw he, he led a, a a bunch of Spartan ships into a trap that resulted in a, in a crushing defeat. Once again, showing off his military genius, he besieged and captured cities. He brought in rich spoils of war and added to his reputation, which by now was near legendary. You know, regardless of whether you loved him or hated him, everyone had heard of this bloke. At one point, even he attempted to put to shore and meet with his old friend Tissaphernes, the Persian, the Persian satrap who tried to get into this alliance. Right? Maybe test the waters, see if you know. Maybe there is a an alias, you know. And this didn't work out because Alcibiades was arrested and imprisoned by the, his former friend, proving once and for all exactly how much influence he ended up happy, having in Persia. Approximately zero, in fact. But he escaped. He escaped from prison yeah, from his imprisonment after a month or so. Returned to his position of command. And uh, interestingly, even after, you know, proving his links with Persia were absolutely useless, Athens just didn't care. He was doing too much winning for them. He knew how to play the long game, our mate, our mate Alcibiades. He knew how to play the long game. He was accepted back into the, into, the, uh, into, the, into the Athenian ranks. He's playing bloody 6D chess over here. 
And in 409, he uh, besieged a, a series of coastal cities in Thrace. Well, I say besieged. Didn't really even do that, to be honest. Check this out, right? He rocked up with his fleet and his army. He's needing money. He needs money to pay his oarsmen, pay his soldiers. He's, he's running short of money and he needs it badly. So what he does, he rocks up to this city, he knocks on the door, he says, Righto, you lot, listen here. I'm here with this big army, this big fleet. We're going to capture this city one way or another. We can either do the big long siege thing, starve you out and then kill you when you finally let us in, or you can surrender now. No one gets hurt. You give us money and hostages. We go on our way. And wouldn't you believe it? Once again, this bloke's persuasive ability was that strong. I mean, it didn't hurt he had a great big army behind him. That sort of thing does tend to add weight to an argument. But he talked this city into surrendering without a drop of blood. And would you believe it, right? After getting a stack of cash off them, after taking hostages to make sure that the city kept up its part of the deal, would you believe it? He sails down the coastline and he does exactly the same thing to the very next city, and this city happened to be Byzantium, which became Constantinople, which became Istanbul, although, of course, that's nobody's business but the Turks. He convinced one of the most powerful cities in history at, at, at one point to surrender with nothing more than the power of argument. He went into the city. He, he riled up the unhappy citizens against their, uh, their Peloponnesian masters and, and, and fermented what was basically a revolt inside the city itself. They, the, uh, the people abandoned their guard posts. The Athenians under Alcibiades attacked the Peloponnesian garrisons in the city. And after this string of massive successes, finally, in 407 uh, BCE, Alcibiades decided to at last make his triumphant return to Athens and so sailed back home a hero. He was welcomed back with great fanfare. People had heard the stories of his victories through trickery and deceit, through overwhelming military force, or just from flapping his gabber a little bit until people stopped wanting to fighting him. And as a result, his treachery was forgiven. People pointed out that the only reason he betrayed Athens in the first place is because Athens betrayed him by threatening him with the trial of the marble dicks, although I don't know that that's its official name in history. Um, uh, in any case, back he comes, the prodigal son returns, bloody get around him, Alcibiades, bloody war hero, what a legend, people love him. Love him. The charges there dropped, his property was restored, he's lauded with praise and approbation from almost all quarters here, but he did not live happily ever after. No, no, no. Even after returning to his former home, even after coming back, you know, again, lavish, lavish praise, on, praise lavished on him as a hero here, it all come undone for him. It all come undone for him. His triumph was unfortunately short-lived. In 406, he set sail once again. He was ready to go and crack some skulls in the Peloponnesian War. I tell you this, mate. Ready to fight the Spartans and their Persian allies as he'd done for, well, at least part of his military career, I suppose. But it all come undone at the Battle of Notium, a disaster for the Athenians and particularly for Alcibiades with, you know, with him at the helm. Well, actually, not him at the helm. This was the problem. He left a bloke named uh, Antiochus, his helmsman, in charge of the fleet as, as he went ashore to deal with the siege uh, of, of the city. And Antiochus disobeyed a direct order from Alcibiades and led the Athenian fleet into ruin when Alcibiades had specifically said, said it needed to stay put. Alcibiades was held responsible for the defeat, even though it, was, it wasn't him who had issued the order that had ended up you know, destroying the entire fleet. He was held responsible for it. And this was a defeat from which he was not able to recover. Not everyone had been thrilled about his return to good grace in Athens, I can tell you this. And, and, and the numerous political enemies that he'd made throughout a lifetime of, uh, of chicanery jumped at the chance to, to discredit him once and for all. He was a victim of his own success. People, you know, he'd done so much good work previously before his return. People expected miracles, but off he goes. First thing he does, go and get defeated. People aren't happy and his political foes tear him to shreds. Poor old Alcibiades, he decided to exile himself this time. He, he was not driven out of the town. He, he, he walked away and he said, nah, buggy you lot, I'm going away. I'm, I'm not coming back here anymore. And he never returned to Athens. Rather than continue in the cycle and, you know, offer himself to, to Sparta again as a, as, a, as, a, uh, as a traitor once more, this time he travelled to Phrygia in Asia Minor and he settled down in a little village there. He shacked up with a courtesan named Tamandra. No idea what happened to his wife, by the way, to be honest. I mean, poor old Hipparidi, I don't know what happened to her. 
Uh, he settled down with his with his courtesan Tamandra, and he began to make overtures to the Persian court once again, maybe wanting to pick up the uh, the mantle of a politi- political mover or, or shaker. Remember, it was common enough for exiled Greeks to end up in Persia, and so you know he was able to maybe start to ingratiate himself there. But it wasn't to be in the long term because a Spartan admiral, Lysander, wanted to be very sure that Alcibiades would never return to the fray and aid the Athenians ever again. Lysander hired assassins to kill. Alcibiades. And one day in 404 BCE, they surrounded the house in the little village in Phrygia that he'd settled in, where he lived with Tamandra, and they set it on fire. Alcibiades is said to have grabbed his cloak and his sword before rushing out to meet his attackers, but as soon as he emerged from the burning building, he was cut down with arrows and javelins. And that, at last, was the end of the story of Alcibiades as he died in front of his house that fateful day. Well, that's the official story anyway, because Plutarch said that it actually might not have been Persian assassins after all, but instead, the brothers of some girl, what he shagged, who decided to burn his house down and kill him. Was he killed for a lifetime of political treachery? Or was he killed for jumping into bed with the wrong person? Knowing Alcibiades, it's honestly very hard to say. But that's it. That's all she wrote today, sports fans. That is the story of Alcibiades. What a wild one it is. My goodness. He led us on a quite a wild goose chase there. It was very, very fun to read about this, and I hope you enjoyed listening to it half as much as I, I did researching it. Going to close out the show very quickly, quickly with the normal boring housekeeping stuff here. Halfhousehistory.net, of course, is the place to go if you want to uh, want to contribute to the show or get through, get across old episodes or subscribe. There are links there to subscribe, Spotify, Android, whatever else, iTunes. Um, and uh, you can join the Discord. I haven't plugged this for a while. Bit.ly slash join Riley's Discord for the latest updates on the show. And there's a great way uh, to submit uh, episode ideas there as well. Topics, you can either do it there or you can go to uh, the website. There's a contact form. And I want to thank all the people who support me on Patreon, of course, every month. Thank you very much to all of you who are uh, contributing to the financial success of the show. I, I really appreciate everyone being at my back. And uh, thank you also to the people who just listen every week, week in and week out. A slightly slightly smaller thank you, but a thank you nonetheless. Uh, it's wonderful to have you uh, supporting me uh, as you do. And uh, to be sharing the good word of half Fast History amongst your friends and your enemies and, of course, the people about whom you feel largely ambivalent. Going to close out the show as ever with a question posed on Reddit. This one, uh, a good one about the ancient Greeks, comes to us from Inconspicuous D, who asks, Why did all the photographs taken in ancient Greece make everyone look like they were made of stone? <laughs>